This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in today. We are in part seven of our series, The People of God. And today we're going to talk about the elect or the chosen and how the scripture says the elect or chosen of God are called. And so in our studies thus far, we found words like elect or like chosen or something uh, equivalent frequently used in scripture to becoming one of God's people. And to many, this is the idea of uh, God selecting individuals he will slay, save and then in his sovereignty, uh, uh, regardless of that individual's choice or thought, they're going to be saved and, and vice versa, others will be lost. And so God has chosen beforehand individuals who will be saved and, and who will be lost. And so we, I would freely acknowledge that the Bible teaches man's inability to grasp the fullness of God's ways. The secret things belong to God, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Uh, but we're, we're also told that the revealed things belong to us in that same passage. So it's clearly revealed that there is uh, no partiality with God. He's not a respecter of persons, the old King James says in Romans two eleven through 13. And we can understand what he has revealed. Paul wrote that the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge into the mystery of Christ, revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. That's Ephesians 3, 2 through 5. And so Paul is saying there, clearly we can understand the Bible, what God is, is telling us about his will and his expectations and how we can draw near to him and be reconciled to him. We can understand these things revealed in God's word. And in God's word, it teaches us, teaches us about uh, the election and choosing that um, that God does for his people, how, how it is that he compels people to come to him. And what we find in that, I, I would argue, is that um, he expects man to use his own free will and respond to what has been revealed in his scripture. And that's what I want to think about primarily with you today how elect and chosen are are actually used in Scripture. And uh, they're often translated from the same Greek word, ekletos. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's the Greek word, and you can investigate for yourself. Uh, Matthew twenty two fourteen. many are called, Jesus says, but few are chosen in Matthew twenty four twenty two. But the elect's sake, or for the elect's sake, he says those days will be shortened, as he's talking about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem there and the seeds that would come um, from the Romans. So chosen and elect are, are linked to this word called. Um, and we can see that again in Revelation seventeen fourteen, that Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen. So there's our word there, electos, called, chosen, and faithful. And I think that's significant to note that there is faithful attached to the word chose, uh, chosen and called. And so if we can determine how God calls his people, we're going to better understand how he elects or chooses them and why also faithful is mentioned in the same equation, why faithful is essential to the process because it's clearly mentioned and connected with these ideas in Revelation 17. So First Peter 1 in verse 1, 
he addresses, Peter is inspired to address his letter, he says, to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And some, I believe, have erroneously equated foreknowledge with foreordination and have concluded that God selected these individuals that Peter is writing to, and and really all Christians, have been selected apart from and unrelated to their personal faith and unrelated to their response to his to God's call. Uh, so, but knowing something ahead of time, as Christ foreknew he who would betray him, right? He so for example, Christ knew ahead of time that Judas was going to be the one who betrayed him. That does not remove individual responsibility to God. Judas was still culpable. First Peter one and verse two continues the. Uh, and speaking of those who are chosen according to the, the foreknowledge of God, uh, in sanctification, he says, and that's the root word of hagios, or, be, or being holy or set apart, um, in sanctification of the Spirit, he says, uh, and there is no the in the Greek there. Uh, so our English Bible, it says the Spirit, uh, but it uh, literally reads sanctification of Spirit. So there's no the in the Greek nor anything in the context to, to demand that the Holy Spirit is what's being talked about there. So the setting apart of their spirit was for obedience, which is a response right from people, believers, to uh, the faith that the Bible inspires in, or engenders in people. And that resulted in the cleansing by the blood of Christ, Hebrews 5, 9. He's the source of salvation to all those who obey him. And if you look in 1 Peter 1, and you and you continue reading through that chapter, you're going to see Peter make the same points there, and in chapter two about the word of God as well. So later in Peter, for, uh, in in that same context in verse 17, if you just drop down in First Peter one to verse 17, Peter says God judges according to every man's work, and that we should be humbled in the knowledge of that acceptable obedience is the response to the call that precedes it, and that's a call made possible by Christ's sacrifice. Just look at John chapter 6, beginning around verse 42, and go down through verse 49. And so, if you go down to verse 22 now, through 25 of 1 Peter 1, notice Peter says, We are born again by obedience to the word of God, which he says um, is the gospel preached to you. And so take that and kind of hold, you know, put it, pin it to the board of your mind, and let's add another text to, to the board here. Um, a cl- another scripture that is paralleled, I think, closely to to First uh, Peter one is Second Thessalonians two, thirteen through fourteen. But that says God chose the Thessalonians for salvation through or in sanctification by the Spirit. Again, there's no the in the original uh, context. So sanctification uh, in the Spirit, in in Spirit rather, and belief in truth. Uh, your Bible might say the truth, uh, but it's just. It's just referring to, again, the revelation to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we put that together and we see God was calling as the gospel of Christ was preached. And those who believed and obeyed that call of the gospel were chosen to salvation or elected to salvation. So it's not as mystical or... Uh, nebulous as some folks want us to believe, or, or even experiential um, as some folks want us to believe. I think that what the Bible is saying, the way that people are, are called or chosen to be reconciled to God for salvation, to be forgiven of their sins, is through the gospel, through the objective truth that 
Peter and Paul and all the other apostles revealed, and of course that Jesus revealed, and that the Holy Spirit inspired to give to people. And Paul says we can read and understand that, and we can gain insight into the mystery of Christ. And Second Thessalonians two and First Peter one make it clear that we are called by that message, and when we listen with objective, honest, humble hearts, we're we're compelled to obey, and we will obey. If um, again, if we if if we're that right kind of soil, Jesus talks about in, in Matthew chapter thirteen, and so we have a choice before us, and the scripture doesn't want us to be deluded about that have no delusions that we have a choice and we see um you know good and evil right and wrong light and and darkness and god wants us to make the right choice he wants us to come into the light and that's the picture many times that scripture gives us of light and darkness representing these two extremes these two realms of right and wrong and the decision that we have to make between the two uh, look at first peter chapter 2 you just flip forward uh, one chapter from where we were in verse 9 peter says that god called his people out of darkness into his marvelous light and then verse 10 continues and says who were once not a people but now are the people of of god and so again the call was by the gospel as peter already stated in chapter 1 and paul does too in second thessalonians and in responding to that call people are brought into fellowship with God and they're brought into his kingdom in a, in a way of and Peter is saying that they're brought into his his marvelous light. Uh Paul says that uh, that the Lord sent him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts 26:17 through 18. And so we know that faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And as we read and as we understand our, our, our trust and our knowledge of God grows as we understand more about him and his will. And God called Gentiles when the gospel was preached to them. As Peter said in Acts two thirty nine, as Paul has already said, but the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And then Luke goes on to say, with many other words, he testified, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then in verse 41, he says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Acts 2 40 through 41. And then verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So that's a lot of scripture to try and process, but just try to focus on the common threads that we're seeing through each of these these texts. Uh, first, that man, people do not merit salvation, but it's available to everybody. It, as Peter says, it's available to all who are far off, as many as God will call to himself, whosoever will, according to the eternal purpose that God had in Christ Jesus our Lord, Ephesians 3.11. So God is freely providing the means of salvation. He's, he's, he's providing the plan and the truth, and he knew what that was going to be before the world began. And he knew that man must hear the call of the gospel and gladly receive the word and obey it to be forgiven of his sins. Isn't that what we just read? That those who gladly receive the word that Peter preached, which he was preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 2, uh, he was preaching Jesus as Christ and the conditions which those folks had to submit to 
in order to be reconciled to Jesus. Um, baptism and repentance in verse 37. And it says that those who gladly received the word, that's exactly what they did. They were baptized. 3,000 souls that day were added to the church. So God provides the means, the sacrifice of Christ, and he provides the plan and the revelation of the plan, but he expects people to respond to that message. He expects people to hear the call of the gospel, gladly receive the word, obey it, thus they can be forgiven and reconciled to him. And so by the same principle, those who have been forgiven of past sins are now called to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord, Peter says in Second Peter 3.18. So a study of the people of God repeatedly brings us back to uh, what went forth from Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 and how this message, this word that was preached to all the world as Jesus foretold and, and told his disciples beginning at Jerusalem, you will preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly what happens, uh, you know, 50 days later on, on the first Pentecost after the resurrection. That's what we find those men doing uh, in Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel to the world and its entirety for the first time. And and people are obeying and they're being saved and, and the church begins there. And when we look in prophecy, we see that that's exactly what God said would happen in places like Isaiah 2 and verse 3, where Isaiah said the law and the word of the Lord, Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. And so we can't conclude that God calls people uh, subjectively or um, he uses some other means apart from his his word uh, to uh, cajole or or try to get people to to obey him. It's not about how we feel about him or a matter, but by objectively determining what God has said about his, about salvation and about His Son and about us and what He expects us to do. So, and, and when we and when we go and when we think about and we, and we see in Scripture that the the word itself is what the gospel is what calls people to to God um you know and Jesus himself said that that's what it would do right as as all who are taught and have learned from the father come to me he says in John chapter 6 um some say this makes the bible our our god right so we're not really looking to Jesus anymore we're not looking to our creator uh, but we're just we're we're you know, enamored with what the book says, and we're kind of becoming uh, book worshipers or Bible worshipers. Um, but and sadly, many people who make those arguments and, and would accuse me of doing that have accepted their feelings as the standard and have made a God for themselves, a God that has no uniformity and is as varied as the people who dream him up. And he has no more moral integrity than society who invents him. And there, there are honest differences among people who read the Bible who come to different conclusions. But those differences can only be resolved by further study and faith in God's Word and not going to it and reading it with our hobbyist lenses or, you know, preconceived notions. You know, it's coming to a common understanding of truth. Um, we We have to approach the word of God and consider it uh, fairly as fairly and as honestly and humbly as we can. God is calling everyone. He calls the whole world population with all power. Christ said, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All nations, he says, the whole world is now being called to to obey him, Matthew 28, 18 through 19. And the Lord is not willing that any should perish, Peter says, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. And so those passages speak to this universal call of the gospel. Remember, Jesus says, many are called. We could say, all people are called. This is for everybody. Uh, Acts chapter 2, as many who as far, as far off as the Lord God will call to himself. And so what this is telling us, I believe, is that the people of the world must respond to the Lord's call in order to be benefited by it. As seen throughout, I believe, previous studies in this series and, and the passages that we've uh, talked about today, um, the love and the glorification sought by God and essential to his purpose in creating man demands a free will, free will response of man to his will, and that the ultimate people of God are not puppets condemned by a depravity inherited from Adam, unconditionally elected to be among a limited number for whom Christ died, saved or lost by an irresistible force, which would make God show partiality. And they're not preserved regardless of the individual's rebellion against God's will. Not one item of tulip of the tulip doctrine is true. We we have to see that and we have to understand God has given us responsibility and the capacity to love him and to obey him and to make the choice to do those things and respond to the call of the gospel. We've seen that the Holy Spirit led the apostles into all truth as Jesus promised in John 16, 12. And spiritual gifts were bestowed upon them and, and then others upon whom they laid their hands in, in the early formative years of, of the church as uh, the gospel was being preached and the word was being confirmed by miracles that followed, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 2. And today, those who accept their message are also led by the Spirit, right? because it was the Spirit, who, the Holy Spirit who inspired that message to begin with. And But it's through the instrumentality of the Word of God. It's not through subjective feeling or experience. No, the call comes through the Word. You know, someone has compiled a list of 25 blessings that are assigned both to the Holy Spirit and to the Word. And I'm just going to note only a few of them here. Um, one that we alluded to earlier was in 1 Peter 1, 23, that the new birth is of the Spirit, John 3, 8, as Jesus teaches, but it's also of the Word of God, as we saw in 1 Peter 1 and verse 23. And we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians six eleven. But Jesus also teaches that we're sanctified through the word of truth in John seventeen seventeen. Paul said that the Spirit dwells in you in Romans eight eleven, but so does the Word of Christ, Colossians three sixteen. Uh, we're quickened or made alive by the Spirit in John six sixty three. But the same passage tells us that the words I speak to you are spirit and life, Jesus says. And so there's so many passages like that that speak to what the Holy Spirit does. Um, um, there's a direct parallel that that's what the word that he inspired also does. And so, you know, when I when I see that, I, I have to believe that the way the Holy Spirit sanctifies, the way that he is instrumental to the new birth, uh, the way that he dwells in us even, is through the agency of the word that he inspired. 
meaning to, to the extent that I imbibe and that I um, consume the word that he that he gave, that he inspired, that's the extent to which he dwells in me and to, and to which I submit to him and to the extent that I'm quickened by him and led by him and so on and so forth. So the, the word of God is the instrument of the Holy Spirit, and it must be approached honestly. Uh, looking outside of our our own feelings and our own uh, prejudices and misconceptions or preconceptions, I should say, in order to to profit by the, his work in our lives, which, which he operates um, upon us through his word. You know, in the nineteenth in the nineteenth century, uh, there was a strict Calvinistic sect that reached the conclusion that there was no need for missionaries. And they argue that if God selected the individuals to be saved and called them with an irresistible working of the Holy Spirit, then missionaries would be a waste of time and money. And so they said, we're just going to do away with those. Right? And and I, I mention that because it shows that their conclusion was consistent with their doctrine. But, but it failed to consider the New Testament explanation of faith and why why Jesus did send out people. He didn't call them missionaries. He expects all people, to, all of his people, to uh, be evangelistic. Um, but if if people have already been chosen and saved ahead of time, regardless of their choice, then then why should disciples of Christ make any effort to teach others? Right, Paul says, "How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent?" In Romans ten fourteen. And so we find. A quotation within these verses from Isaiah 52 and verse 7 shows that the preacher under consideration is God sent. And this messianic prophecy of apostles and prophets in, in the Christian era. But the principle laid down here in this text is consistent with other passages that we've already read, like in Matthew 18 and, and others. Um, John 20 is another one where he says, These things have been written down that you may believe. So the point is, is that God saw to it that we had the message of salvation of Christ, and he also saw to it that he commanded people to take that message uh, to others, to, first of all, personally believe it and apply it to themselves, but also take it to others and teach them. And having believed, Peter says, God's people will add to their faith virtue, and to their virtue knowledge, and to their knowledge self-control, and then perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And Second Peter one five, and he says to those who abound in these things, uh, he has great promises. He says those who lack them, he has serious warnings. He says if you lack these things, you're short sighted and you've forgotten uh, the purification of your sins. And so he concludes that text by saying, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And that should resonate with us. If we believe that the Bible is truly the word of God, Peter is saying, this is on you and it's on me to make your calling, to make my calling election sure. And you have to make your calling election sure. And he says how we do that. It's it's through faithfulness. It's, you know, on the most basic level, it's a response to God's word. What he is calling us to do, what he is teaching us, the example set forth in that we have to make the choice to submit. And in submitting, draw near to him and, and grow in all these things that Peter mentions. And only then can we be sure of our calling and election. Those are the terms that he's laid down 
And we don't have to be ashamed about that. We don't have to balk at that or doubt that um, because he spelled it out for us. And he's been kind and gracious enough to do that. But we need to take it to heart. So are you doing that? Are you striving to do that? Uh, perhaps there's some way um, I can help. Or if you'd like to study uh, with me personally, I'd love to do that. I'm anxious to help you. Come visit us at Leon, Leon Valley sometime if you're ever in the area of Temple, Texas. So um, I'm going to continue to study these things, and I hope that, that you will too. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.